Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to another Nacho Tuesday. And today I have Tony Zeng here with Operations Army. And without further ado, we'd love if you could uh, introduce your company to us and tell us more about what you do. Perfect. Thanks so much, Andy. And then thanks for having me as well. Happy Nacho Tuesday to everybody who's tuning in today. So in a nutshell, I'm the CEO and founder of a company called Operations Army. And so what we do very simply is we help businesses and other startups hire top international talent across a variety of roles like sales, operation, accounting, and growth marketing. And, and really the value proposition for companies is threefold. So number one, we handle the entire recruiting, interviewing, onboarding, and training process. So you get the right talent out the box ready to go. Number two is we offer flexible hours. So you can get someone for as low as 20 hours or you know as high as like 40, 50, 60 hours a week. And then the last piece, which, which is my favorite as well, is we help companies save 50% or more on headcount costs. So those, those are all the value propositions of what we can do at Ops Army. That's great. And uh, where where do, uh, where do a lot of these freelancers come from? Do you have a like a solid base in the in, in Europe, or uh, yeah. where where is the distribution for that? It's a good question. So we're pretty agnostic at this point. When I first started the business, I spent a lot of my time actually developing a lot of sourcing pipelines and strategic <laughs> partnerships in a lot of these countries across the world. And so, you know, what we found is there's really no one singular place for top talent. So a lot of our talent these days come from various parts of Latin and South America, Europe as well, and then also various parts of Asia. So it's, it's really dependent on what types of roles that you're looking for and essentially around, you know, what time zones you want these folks to be working on. And then we go out and, and we find you these folks. That's great. So I, I think I heard a story there. So you, you said you uh, traveled around a lot and you got to uh, meet a lot of folks in different countries. That's uh, right. That's tell right. us more about those journeys and kind of how you got to where you're at in your career today. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a great question. So I think I'm a little spoiled <laughs> in this regards uh, with just having the opportunities to do a lot of traveling mm -hmm. as well. So, you know, I'm a big believer in experiences over material things. And so mm -hmm. whenever I can, obviously past few years have been a bit crazy, but, you know, I, uh, I did a lot of traveling as well. Yeah, to say the least, just a little crazy, you know? <laughs> so I did a lot of traveling. Um, and I think it ties in quite quite well with my professional background. And so kind of my, my personal story is that my parents immigrated here uh, in the early 1990s when they were just teenagers. And, you know, for us, it was like had nothing, um, just literally came with a backpack and a suitcase. And, you know, my parents really worked a variety of odd jobs, um, you know, early on in their career and then eventually cobbled together enough funds and actually started a small business of their own. So growing up, I saw like my parents work these, you know, ruthless, ridiculous 12, 14 hour days, seven days a week. And, you know, growing up, I would actually my form of spending time with my parents was actually going to, you know, sit at the family business. And so that for me, you know, obviously like starting a small business um, or any business for that matter is really, really hard. And you have to put in the hours you have to sacrifice. But on the flip side of that, it also gives you you know, a different perspective on life, you know, yeah. it's truly, you know, if you put in the work, you can get anything you want out of it. And, you know, it provided food for, for food for me and a roof over my head. And so growing up, you know, I loved kind of building, loved being in that business environment. So yeah. went off to college, you know, dabbled, work at, worked at startups, 
worked, you know, in investment banking, worked in venture capital as well. Um, but nothing really stuck with me uh, because it wasn't as similar as kind of the experiences that I had. And so what ended up happening was, you know, after college, went off to work at McKinsey out in San Francisco. And McKinsey was great for me because it allowed me to, you know, taste a little bit of these different experiences. So I worked in, you know, uh, pr predominantly in their new ventures lab, which is, you know, working with these growth stage startups and early stage startups on a variety of different things like go to market, hiring, talent acquisition, um, culture building, product development. And so I got to see kind of what it was like working at these startups, loved it, right? Left, uh, you know, launched an, an insurance company actually. So this is back in the in the days when you know metro mile oscar health were going public hippo were going public and so there was a lot of buzz and a lot of opportunity um you know discovered that it was really really hard <laughs> building an insurance company various levels of success um and then actually left to to you know work uh, as a first product hire at a healthcare startup so healthcare startup sold earlier this year and then um you know for about the past you know two years or so, right? I've been building Ops Army, but after the healthcare startup sold, I decided to go full-time. Nice. That's great to hear. Yeah. So yeah, the, you got to put on long hours, uh, you know, unfortunately as a startup and you know, having that experience at McKinsey, sometimes yeah. it's great to be able to work with a lot of, I used to have an agency myself. So being able to work with a lot of different startups and companies and kind of see them at various levels of growth and success, it really teaches you a lot and gives you a lot of perspective on you know, on your company as you look to build it as well. Mm -hmm. um, so one thing we're here to discuss today is uh, founder time management, right? So you do have to put in a lot of hours to be successful as a startup. There's no way around that. But um, efficiency is another thing that a lot of founders overlook, um, you know, how to, you know, balance your time effectively, or, you know, the idea of delegation is a key to leadership. Um, I guess, what tips do you have for founders out there that are looking to, you know, scale their business without burning themselves out? Yeah, I think that's a great question, Andy. And I 100% agree with you when you say that there is no substitute for the hour. So, you know, if you, if you were to plot it right, I, I would be very surprised if you don't see like a direct, you know, one-to-one -one correlation with the number of hours you put in and the success and likelihood of, of success for your company. And so there's no getting around that. You simply have to put in the long hours. But that being said, though, you know, having worked with, um, a lot of kind of high functioning, high output, fast growth startups and executive leadership teams, both at McKinsey and over the past couple of years, there's a few things that I've learned. So, you know, I think it's important to, to separate the personal piece from the professional piece. And so on the professional side, you know, I, I would really break it down to like three big components or buckets of things, right? Number one is you want to do things that give you leverage. Number two is that you want to prioritize ruthlessly. And then the last piece is you want to constantly audit how you're spending your time. So let me break that down and what that means, right? So when I say do things that give you leverage, that means you can't always be in the weeds of building a company, right? Um, in the weeds of customer support. It's good for you to have some exposure to that so you really know what people are saying, what your customers are complaining about, or you know, giving you good feedback on. But the reality of it is that you can't just be in the weeds so much. So you wanna do things that give you leverage. How do you do that, right? Number one is you wanna hire the right talent. And so, you know, and, and this spans across the board. It's not just um, growth people, software engineers, but for you as a founder, right? If you feel yourself strapped for time, 
and I use the word founder very loosely. You could be like a small business owner, um, an independent consultant or coach, or you could be, you know, the, the founder of like a billion dollar unicorn. But the reality of it is that you want to hire the right people. And that can be hiring an executive assistant or a chief of staff to support you on your day to day workflow. Number two is that you want to delegate, delegate, delegate. So, you know, I, I don't know if people have seen this like two by two matrix, but you know, the way I think about a founder's time is that there's really three things that um, only a CEO or founder could do that. That's one, setting the strategy two hiring. And then the third piece is um, ensuring that there's enough capital in the bank. So everything else that's not directly related to those things, growth of the company, generating revenue, you should delegate away. Um, and, and that's how you kind of create leverage for yourself. And then the last piece, um, uh, of, of that first bucket is I would say is like, you want to create SOPs and systems. So anything from like onboarding process creation, if you find yourself doing something like more than two or three times, how do you create it, create some sort of documentation around it such that, um, it allows you to, you know, hand this playbook, hand this documentation off to someone and they can run with it. Yeah. Those are all kind of things that you could do to give yourself leverage. And, you know, moving on to the second bucket around prioritizing ruthlessly, that's, I, I don't even know if, if there's a way to, to, to phrase this. It's like prioritize ruthlessly, ruthlessly, right? Yeah. And what I mean by that is, you know, you want to be incredibly cognizant of how you're spending your time. Something I do is, um, number one is I plan my day out in advance. So the night before I plan it all out in advance. And then I actually color code how I'm spending my time. How much of it is on meetings? How much of it is like deep focused thinking work? How much is it uh, is it training people, hiring, onboarding? And you know, you really want to be able to track your time um, very diligently, but then also prioritize ruthlessly. You know, each day you really only want to be spending your time on the two or three biggest, you know, potatoes that really move your business forward. Everything else, delegate away or don't even do. Yeah. And then the last piece is like constantly auditing how you're spending your time. So, you know, some kind of this is stuff I've learned over the years as well is every Saturday I do reflections. And this is very simply a few bullets on what went well this week, but didn't go well. How can I kind of improve next week? And that kind of quiet time, I spent about an hour doing it, um, is really, really powerful for me because it helps me align myself. You know, in the day to day, things are just too crazy and it's just too chaotic. Yeah, I agree with that point. A lot of founders and, and uh, executives don't give themselves enough time to really reflect on anything. And uh, a lot of the best strategies actually come from these uh, times where you just kind of block out a little bit to, to think through problems. Mm -hmm. um, because it's very easy to get caught in the day to day and the, the weeds, as you say, you know, meeting after meeting. And, you know, you, you don't really uh, have time to apply to thinking about problems and how to more effectively solve them. It's easy to get caught into a loop, <laughs> if you know what I mean. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why it's so important to block time out for, for deep focus work. You know, Andy, you're going to laugh at this, but if you look at my calendar, it's literally like a, you know, bad Picasso painting. So <laughs> each of my days, uh, every, every day is blocked out with time. And obviously, you know, sometimes, you know, I, meetings go over whatever, but I am in, incredibly ruthless with my time. 
And you just, you really have to block time out for deep focus work. And it's not just deep focus work as well, which I think a lot of times, a lot of founders forget. You also want to carve time out for self-learning as well. And so that means reading up on your industry, um, talking to other experts in, in the field, whatever it is to push your business forward. Because if you don't carve time out to learn and you are the captain of the ship, uh, of your ship, you're not going to know where to steer your 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 business. So it's incredibly important to also carve time out for self-learning as well. That's a great point. <clears throat> I also uh, always make sure that I block time out in my calendar for especially like busy work. And I kind of do s- the same thing. So um, just to ensure that I do get that hour block to, you know, have that time to really think through things or read up on, on industry knowledge or, you know, just get some hardcore work done. Right. Cause sometimes yeah. it's easy to just go from meeting to meeting and, you know, you realize at the end of the day, you've just been talking all day, but you know, you haven't really put pen to paper and got real work done. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love that. Um, and for everybody, it's different. You have to learn your own working style. So I am <laughs> a bit of a late night owl. So I find some of my most productive deep working times actually past 10 PM. So I'll tell my team, Hey, if you expect, if you see an email or a Slack message from me, late at night, don't answer it, answer mm-hmm. it in the morning. Or sometimes <laughs> I'll schedule send them for 8 a.m. in the morning um, when, when, you know, <laughs> during normal business hours. And yeah. that that works for me, right? Mm-hmm. Some people might really like having that deep focus time in the morning uh, where they could go heads down and work without any meetings. If that's you, fine, do your thing. But it's really important to also figure out what is your own working style and how are you best productive? That's a great point. So one thing I do want to dive into more is the uh, delegation. Uh, so building a team is really critical for, you know, helping grow your company, right? And I'm, I'm a big fan of uh, kind of working yourself out of the job. It's important for a CEO or founder to really understand every aspect of the business. Um, you don't have to be an expert in every every area, but you need to be able to put the whole thing together like a Picasso, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to understand all these key areas. Otherwise, you don't know how to hire the right people that are you know, they're specialists in that area and they're always going to be better than you because, you know, if you follow the Pareto principle, you can, you know, never effectively put hundred percent of your time in anything, but you could put, you know, 20% of the time to understand maybe 80% of it. And that makes you pretty, pretty dang dangerous. Right. But there's some people that put, you know, 80% of their time into something or even hundred percent. And they know that last little 20% to really, you know, move the needle, I guess. Uh, so what tips do you have for, you know, finding these right team members and then uh, recruiting them and then re- retaining them onto your team? Yeah, I think I think that's a great question, Andy. And so you're spot on. Um, some of the best leaders that I've met over the course of my time at McKinsey and also just being a part of the startup community, um, they're what I would consider expert generalists. So they're, they're not this like T type individual where they know a little bit about, you know, like let's say five to eight disciplines and then, but they're really deep on one. I, I think some of the best founders are these expert journalists where they're top 25, top 15, 10% in all of these different buckets. So that makes you dangerous enough, but it also where you can, you know, for example, speak the language, but you're not so deep on like tightening the wrenches and the bolts uh, on, on the company machinery. And so, you know, to your question around how do you find a track, you know, top talent, how do you kind of motivate them and how do you retain them? So, you know, one of the things I, I love about building the business that I'm building today, which is, you know, 
this is literally the thesis, very simply put. Um, we're in a very high interest rate environment where capital is increasingly harder to come by. And this environment will be, you know, the new normal, if you want to think about it, for now until the rest of 2024, possibly even part of 2025 as well. But amid this environment, startups still have this mandate to grow and you have to be very cost conscientious. So how do you even think about hiring people? How do you think about even up-leveling your time, right? So really you have to look at other pockets of talent and that's where international talent comes in. I think, you know, hiring internationally and, and you know, building a good team would have been very, very difficult four or five years ago, but we're now in a very different environment where you have all these tools, Zoom, Slack, et cetera, that facilitates collaboration. You also have this broader acceptance of remote work. A lot of companies are either, you know, hybrid work environment or completely remote. And so these things have made it easier to work across different time zones. Um, and so what, what you start to see is like, you know, you can actually find incredibly high caliber talent. I'm not talking about like, you know, your customer support person at AT&T, which is oftentimes the kind of bias or the stigma that people think of when they think of international talent. These are like, you know, growth marketers who could, you know, run Google ads for you, create content to improve your SEO. Um, these are like, recently I just staffed someone with 15 years of accounting experience onto like an FP&A team. And all of these things help give you leverage, give your team, give your leadership team leverage over their time and over their workflows as well. So they focus on the biggest priorities and strategy, which is like, how in the world do we increase revenue? How do we close more sales? How do we build these strategic partnerships? And then everything else in terms of the actual blocking and tackling delegated to, you know, uh, you know, a, 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 like an international kind of uh, colleague. Um, so that you could really, really supercharge your growth. So that that's kind of you know my my two cents and what I've seen happen in the industry. Great. Uh, do you have any more tips around uh, how to manage effectively a team that's spread out across different time zones? Uh, we mentioned you know uh, setting up the right processes and documentation is very key. So you could take uh, an internal process that works and you could pass it on to somebody and let them run with it. Um, but any other tips around that? Because I know a lot of, you know, a lot of people in our audience and a lot of founders and uh, business leaders out, out there are, you know, doing exactly what you just mentioned, growing internationally. So yeah. you know, I think there's still some uh, misnomers around that and some or misconceptions, so to right. say. No, absolutely. So the way I think about kind of my job or, or really any leadership's job is part, half of your, half of it really is finding and recruiting just like really finding the right people who are good fits for the company. And then the other half of it is how do you set them up for continued success so that they continue to build your business, your business is around for five, 10 plus years, and you become a unicorn, right? Stated very simply. So I think in order to kind of, you know, build that right culture and that working norm, you have to set expectations from the start. And so a lot of what we do with our clients these days is actually onboarding and training support where we will not only find them the right people, but we'll also um, work with them to build out an onboarding process, right? Mm -hmm. How do I kind of share uh, my expectations for what I expect this role to be? How do I, um, share my own working styles, everything from, you know, Tony's a bit of a night owl, don't answer his emails at <laughs> night, to everything like, hey, um, it's okay if I need a block time out during the day to go deep down and then 
you know, have focused work time with no meetings. So you want to set those expectations very clearly up front. Um, and then you also want to build a culture of ownership and empowerment. So, um, you know, something else I've heard from, again, a bias in the industry misconception is a lot of these international talents are the ones who can come in and you have to create the SOP or the playbook and then they follow it, right? I think that makes sense if you're hiring for like, just generic kind of international talent for us at least you know we hire for the top one percent where we specifically screen out whether or not they have this ownership mindset do they have this higher level creativity where they can build the plane build the process as they're going through it and so you want to trust you know people with you know these opportunities and, and frankly just give them opportunities as well to kind of up level in their career um take on more ownership you know be the ones who actually create the processes and systems themselves and then the last piece is um, regular check-ins right having one-on-ones with your employees um, you want to treat international talent as you would any other talent domestic right um you know even talent like across the room from you yeah. if you're working in an office um, and the more kind of embedded they can be in the company, um, the more you check in with them, have one-on-ones, um, have performance reviews, um, all of those things help ensure that you hire them, you hire the right talent, but then you also kind of train and develop them to continue to perform well. Yeah, and that's one thing I've seen with a, a lot of companies that don't do remote work well. Uh, they're not, first of all, they're not delegating enough work to people, so they, they mm -hmm. feel kind of lost, like, what am I doing here? And then two, there's not enough regular check-ins or uh, uh, touch points with management or their peers where they just felt they feel disconnected from the company culture and uh, the company's uh, mission and, and drive overall. Um, so that's that's really important to uh, set those regular checkpoints with people. Absolutely. Absolutely. The other thing um, I'll also say is, you know, understanding that there's going to be a bit of a cultural difference as well. So, for example, I'll give you like a very tactical example. So. You know, one of my clients hired you know a couple of folks from the Philippines, and Asian culture is um, very implicit versus explicit. Where you know uh, folks like to work in teams, there's this team mentality. Um, a lot of kind of communication is implicit, where it's like, oh yeah, I, I just assume you know that I'm working on this. Mm -hmm. If I have questions, I'll just go heads down and, and work directly versus asking questions. And the client was obviously very kind of Western based. Yeah. Uh, company and for them it's like they value communication like just ask questions you can ask like a thousand questions a day there's no dumb questions and so understanding that there's a bit of a cultural difference as well uh, yeah. is, is also important and that's something that you know we've worked and, and spent a lot of time on is like cultural onboarding um, creating kind of cultural working styles as well so understanding that distinction is also important yeah, I agree. And I, I've been working uh, international for years and, you know, I've learned a lot from other cultures and, and uh, some things I could, you know, take with me in the tidbits there. But I got to tell you when, when you're uh, younger and you're kind of figuring it out, you're like uh, trying to understand what people mean. And, and uh, sometimes you could, you know, take it the wrong way when it's just the way that they're used to operating in their culture. So, you know, the more that you kind of go through that trial by fire and work with uh, people across the world, you're going to be able to, uh, and I learned a lot of great things that you could bring with yourself and make yourself better too. But um, it also just gives you a better idea of like how people work out there. So you know what to expect next time. That's right, 100%. <laughs> great. So um, I guess what are some other common operations mistakes that a lot of companies make that uh, they should avoid? 
Yeah, I think that's a great question. Um, I think it's a, it's, a, it's a few things that I've seen come across. Um, so I'll, I'll just list them <laughs> in, in no particular order. Um, number one is I think not thinking enough about finances and margins. When you're growing like a small business or particularly a startup, you know, you have this kind of just North Star, which is growth at all costs, which might have worked for the past 10, 15 years. But in today's environment, it just simply does not work. And so if you go in with a bit of a financial understanding, what is my gross margins? You know, how much does, you know, production of whatever goods cost? You can actually um, be very thoughtful about how you build your business. And you could be very thoughtful about how you build in the right financial incentives into your operating model. And so, you know, uh, healthcare, for example, notoriously no low margin business because it is very people heavy and, you know, there's a certain cap, right? Uh, just regulatorily speaking to profits. And so you want to be very thoughtful about that type of business and you want, it becomes a risk as well. So how can you set up the right guardrails to mitigate that risk? Um, Number two is I think founders do too much themselves. And <laughs> they definitely like to get in the weeds. <laughs> I, I am uh, guilty of this myself as well. So even today, right, like I still take all my client meetings um, and I like doing that. And I will always continue to do that. But eventually I'm going to hit a peak that uh, is not going to be impactful for me to do that. It's just going to eat up too much of my time. So for me, like, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm giving out the advice, but part of it is also like, how do I, you know, take some of the advice uh, that I'm giving as well and, you know, continuously improve. Um, how can I delegate even better? How can I prioritize my time even better? How do I balance work life better as a founder? Uh, so I think that that's like a big piece of just, you know, doing too much yourself. And it's, it's particularly dangerous because doing too much yourself oftentimes mean you're not building the right company culture um, to empower people, to give people opportunities to take ownership. And that, that becomes dangerous. Um, the, the, the other piece is like, you know, hiring as well. So hiring the wrong people um, and not setting them up for success. So I would say a lot of people think, and this is founders that I've worked with as well at Ops Army. Um, a lot of people think that hiring is all about finding the right people, which is like totally not true. That's oh, part of the equation. The other part is that, yeah, cultural piece. You want to set them up for success. And so oftentimes what this means is people will just hire someone on and and give them a ton of responsibilities and expect them to succeed, right? Which is like, just frankly, not going to happen. Imagine, Andy, if, if we threw you in the middle of the jungle or right, go off and survive, right? Mm -hmm. It is going to be a little hard. Yeah. Like, at least give them like a bow, an arrow <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or something, right? And so you want to equip your team members with the right tools um, and the right onboarding experience and understand that it takes time to learn about a business as well. Yeah. So, you know, hiring and then, you know, talent. Uh, retention or culture building is also another big one. And then the last piece I, I'd say is, you know, how do you as a founder keep your energy and your spirits high? So what I mean by that is building a company is, is so, so hard. Like I'll say it's really hard, but unless you're actually doing it, 
you're not going to really feel <laughs> the true magnitude of, of, of the things I say. But, you know, every founder, every early operator out there knows building a company is very hard, but it's also really rewarding. And so you want to keep your spirits high. You want to keep your energy levels high. The only way to do that is to take care of yourself. So that means, you know, getting enough sleep, you know, eating the right foods, um, working out. But then also the last piece, which I think is very spiritually rewarding, is celebrating the small successes. You know, Definitely. oftentimes as a society, I feel like we, you know, put so and much. That's on how you get the unicorn status. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Like, well, the failure only sold it for a hundred million. <laughs> <laughs> only a hundred million. Disgraceful. Inflation the way it is these days. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Um, but I, I generally think it's true, though, as a society, we, we focus so much on, like, what are our weaknesses? How can we improve? And we fixate so much on the things that didn't go well. If you flip the script, it's like, you know, there's a lot of things that you can celebrate that are going well. And, you know, even today, we, we, we throw little celebrations for every net new client we have. Um, and it's these little small things that kind of maintain high morale and keep your spirits high. That's a great point. We uh, make sure we do that in our marketing teams and uh, across our company as well, too. Like um, just, you know, even with a new st strategic initiative, just a small win there just to kind of see and show people that it's kind of going in the right direction just kind of motivates people more to, you know, just just uh, keep pushing the uh, pulling the sled forward, I guess, if you will. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, that's those are some really great tips. So I guess uh, let's talk a little bit more about your company before we wrap up. I guess, uh, you know, what's some things that people should know about your company uh, to pick your company over, say, a competitor out there? Uh, since we guys, uh, we have you guys in our marketplace, so we'd rather have people come to you and or come to us and buy you guys. So um, we'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, no, thank you for that, Andy. So I think um, it's a few things, right? Like hands down, we have the top 1% of talent across the world. And so a lot of companies out there that might offer similar services or products as, as we do, they focus on specific geographies, for example, the Philippines. And that's great. And, and you see a lot of top talent coming out of the Philippines. But the reality of it is that those people are working graveyard shifts where it's nighttime for them, daytime for you. And so there's going to be a misconnect there. Um, time zones and communications are just going to be a little bit different. And so by being geographically agnostic, we can hire top talent from anywhere in the world that we want, whether it's South America, Latin America, you know, even parts of Africa, like Nigeria has really, really good folks as well. Europe, Asia as well. So I would say Top 1% of talent across the world, period. Number two is like superior customer and user experience. And so what, what I mean by that is at the end of the day, this is a people business. And so I spend a lot of my time building trust, um, establishing relationships with people. And so what this looks like is, you know, for any new customer, like you and I will work very directly together and that will continue to happen for the very long foreseeable future, I hope. And, you know, I like kind of taking customer calls. I like, you know, I still have clients who text me. I respond to them over text. I'm very quick to respond to communications. And then after our talent starts, you know, we have whole teams set up to help support on the onboarding experience. And then also like performance management, training, leadership development as well. So for example, uh, this is another tactical example. We placed a data analyst um, at a software company where basically the role was like revenue operations. And so they, you know, came in, had experience with HubSpot, but the company was using Salesforce. So they were, the talent was like, hey, you know, uh, 
can you can you train me a little bit on how to use Salesforce and how to pull SQL queries from Salesforce? Perfect. Set them up with a coach that we have on the back end. We were able to take care of that. And so, you know, that kind of user experience um, is something that we're I'm particularly proud of. Uh, we also support on like playbook creation, process creation, system building as well. And then the last thing I, I would say is, um, you know, for us, it's we're very flexible in terms of our engagements and our hours and how much support you need. You know, we understand that, you know, for a business like we come in as a trusted partner and we want to earn your trust as well. And so what that means is, you know, let's come in, let's work together together. Um, you know, we're not looking to like run you down to the grounds with these high rates, right? We're flexible on the number of hours you need. We're flexible on the rates. Our goal is for you to be successful because we would love to work with the next Uber and the next Airbnb and then just build that kind of partnership over time, over like a very, very long time horizon. So those are the things that that set us uh, apart. Well, it sounds, uh, it sounds great to me, Tony. <laughs> yeah, it's good to see that you guys are focusing on the uh, the quality uh, you guys are focusing on the onboarding experience too, right? You don't just, you know, delegate people off to uh, some company and just hope they uh, sink or swim. Um, <laughs> it's good to have that uh, white glove experience, I guess, if you will. So, you know, we really appreciate having you guys as a partner and having you guys as a part of our B2B SaaS marketplace. Um, so I definitely recommend all of our audience to check out Operations Army today and the B2B SaaS marketplace, uh, the best way to buy SaaS. Um, check it out today for 15% off. We have a you know, some of the best products you have on the software market, including uh, including Tony's company here. So once again, Tony, I uh, really appreciate you coming on today and I uh, appreciate our partnership and uh, looking forward to growing our companies together. <laughs> Fantastic. Thanks for having me, Andy. You too, bud. Bye. Thanks.